Welcome to Podheim, Jirok's Valheim podcast. Let's give him the business. Hey, everybody. This week, we've got something a little different for you. We interviewed J.S. Mars. Yes, Jonathan over at Iron Gate about Valheim. And because that interview went about two hours long, I'm going to share with you the first half of that interview today and then release the second half in the next few days. So let's go to that interview now. All right, everybody, we're here talking with Jonathan, one of the developers over at Iron Gate. It's so awesome to have you here with us, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fun to be here. I, you know, before we get into all the game stuff, which I, you know, people are always interested in asking about, I like to know about the people themselves who are involved just to kind of f- find out how you got to where you are. So if you, if you're, feel like I'd love to hear a little bit about you, maybe where you're from, you know, how you ended up getting into game development. Was did you go to school first? And then maybe some of the places that took you from school to uh before you know and ended up at Iron Gate. Uh sure. <clears throat> like uh, how how detailed do you want it? <laughs> um well maybe start from where you're from and uh you know did you go to college specifically for gaming? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm from Sweden. Uh, like, I think we're all like, uh, I mean, every, everybody at Eingate is living in from Sweden, but we have a few people with some part heritages from here and there, but mostly Swedes. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in Sweden, um, in the countryside. I, at a quite a young age, me and a friend found an old 3D program called Raydream Studio 5. I think that was the first, um, exposure i had to that so like it's a really old 3d package um and we used that to make some model like i, I wouldn't even say models like we placed sp- spheres and, and, and squares and made animations and stuff like that and we had a lot of fun um after that i moved over to over to 3d studio max i think i don't think there was anything else in between mm. and 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 really learned to uh, make 3d models uh, well i shouldn't say really learned but started learning and then from there i i saw this I, I was uh, I was a subscriber to the old PC Gamer magazine, a Swedish version, which was awesome. And sadly, they actually shut down their physical yeah the paper a little while ago. But uh, anyway, and I was a subscriber to that. Uh, I mean, I, I like playing games already. And I saw this little picture of a mod for Unreal Tournament. Uh, I don't remember which one. And they, there was like this, this car mod, Unwheel, it's called, like a baby version of Unreal. Um, but with a wheel, and uh, they had this picture there, and and I just uh, saw like, oh, they're making a mod, and and uh, I just figured, well, I could I could make a model and send that send that to them, that maybe they want to put it in their game or something. So I did that. I was sick from school one day, so I made a a truck, a caterpillar like big big monster truck thing. Oh, nice! And sent it to them, and then they actually put it in the. They were like, yeah, sure, that sounds cool. They put it in the game. And actually, just like, I don't know how long afterwards, but actually it was featured in PC Gamer uh, a few months later. So when they had a picture of the game again, like they had a picture of my my big truck. And for me, that was a really big moment. I mean, I was like in uh, seventh grade, I think. 
Um, oh, wow. So, so that felt really cool from what, my side. What was the name um, of that game? Unwheel. Unwheel. Like, like Unreal, but Unwheel with a wheel. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I mean, I'm sure you can find it online. It's it's just like an old driving mod. Like there was different uh, race racing modes and, and like, it's sort of like a Rocket League, a very, early, very yeah. early version of Rocket League. Yeah. So, so that was pretty cool. And then I, I after that, I got into a few other mods um, for Half-Life 2, I think mainly, um, where I helped out doing some models for different different mods uh the big one i was in was called nuclear dawn it uh it was like kind of a very hyped uh high quality mod at the time that sadly never got released so it uh, but later it was bought up by some company that released it uh, as a standalone game they still have like a large part of all our assets that we made in the for the mod but they released it as their own game and i don't know if i don't know i might not have really done it justice. Didn't really credit us, <laughs> which I think is really asshole move. Like yeah. typical gaming industry thing. Like uh, I really like how the how the movie industry they they really like to credit everybody. Like uh, people who brought them food, drove the taxis, everything. Well, in the gaming industry, they're like, oh, the less names we put in the credits, the cooler we sound. <laughs> oh, so, I, I was actually probably. I wasn't aware of that. I don't know. I mean, it's just a feeling that I have. Like a lot of games, you see, like, oh, there's five people in the credits. And then they're like, "Oh, actually, that's not true." If you really research, then it's like, "Oh, they had this this subcontractor, and they're not even in the credits, or or a whole other company uh, that helped them out." Yeah, it's in the movie industry. We definitely credit try try to credit everyone, even the the little assistants and people you know who are on internship and whatnot. Uh, what the productions assistants they call them PAs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I mean that's what I mean. It doesn't cost anything to have people in the credits. It's just like I think it's. I think it comes from some kind of a, a thing where you can you can make a game all by yourself, and I don't know the feeling. Of, it seems like a lot of games just have a few people in the credits just to make it sound like they did all the work or something. I don't know why. It's really a annoying uh, cultural thing somehow. Hmm. And then no one is watching the credits. Yeah, exactly. Nobody really cares anyway. So why not just put them in there? I mean, give give them give them that. I mean, it's it's really nothing. I mean, later now I'm jumping ahead a bit, but I worked at a at a contractor. Uh, like a 3D model, <laughs> 3D art contractor uh, for a bunch of different games, and and uh, I was surprised when I joined there. They're like, "No, what personalized credits? We don't have. We, that's we we could never ask for that." So like, if you look in a bunch of different games, at the end of it, it'll it'll say like additional art by uh, Liquid Development was a company I worked for, and that's that's like say I don't know maybe ten or fifteen artists working on a game that did like the a large chunk of of the main art in games but if you look at the credits it's, it's like they have maybe two artists in-house art in-house artists that did their work and then and then they hired us as contractors but but if you look at the credits you you think like oh there was two people who did all all the art in this game that's pretty amazing <laughs> well so yeah that's kind of i think it's kind of a sad sad part of the gaming industry but but uh, hopefully it's getting better i don't know well, a lot of the gaming industry is is not unionized. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that. Because um, part in, of the, the credit requirements for the film industry uh, come from there being so many unions involved. Of course, you oh, know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're actually required to give credits uh, and, and, and in very specific ways. Uh, but then, just be- because they're doing it anyways, uh, they seem to yeah have this tradition 
of crediting uh, all the other uh, companies that are involved. Uh, like you'll see all the special effects artists uh, credited and the companies and, and every individual right down to the assistant in the office who's answering the phones. Uh, and I, I think that tradition comes from the unions, but uh, one of the sad things too about um, the movie industry is that the uh, special effects artists are not unionized. And so they actually, you know, are sometimes fighting for fair wages or, uh, you know, uh, employment and benefits and all these things. They don't have all the protections that a lot of the other film industry have. So I'm guessing that the gaming, because it's kind of the same thing, the, the special effects artists in film, you know, that some of those skills probably translate over to the, some of the special effects things that can be done in gaming. And it sounds like both are not unionized. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was thinking like, oh, the people in film industry are so cool. They just want to credit everybody, but <laughs> I guess uh, their contract really bound to do so. Yeah, yeah. At least, yeah. yeah, for for the big important roles, and they just carry it over. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, getting back to the uh, let's see, where was I? I worked on these mods, uh, and after that, uh, after high school. I applied for, because I'd been working on mods and I had like sort of built up a portfolio. Like, and now we're talking 3D artists. I've been working as a 3D artist on mods. So after that, I applied for some different jobs, uh, just sent out to all the cool studios that I liked and got an answer from, from a few actually. Uh, and I went on interview at, at, at DICE in Stockholm uh, who make Battlefield games and also Grin, which make like... Uh, a bunch of different games. They are sadly now bankrupt, but they got bankrupt a few years later. But um, I had some friends working there, so I got interviews at two places, and I accepted. Um, I accepted the job at Dice, so I worked there for hmm, a bit over a year, and that was really a good experience in a lot of ways. Uh, I both. I mean, I got to meet a lot, a bunch of amazing people. It's a really cool place, uh, but I also learned a lot about what I don't want to do. <laughs> Well, that's like, interesting. Uh, so I was going to ask you uh, what you were doing at some of these companies, because it sounds like you you, you do do uh, programming, but you also, also sounds like you're also a, a 3D graphic artist. So what what were you doing at these companies and what were you, what did you, you know, as you were going through, you know, working with other people, how did you figure out what you did and didn't want to do? Yeah. I mean, uh, I would say like uh, working at a big company, uh, th- like we were 300 then I think they were like something 800 now uh, I'm sure that's that's really good for a bunch of people but but uh, I don't really like being in such a big company you're sort of just like a cog you do you have your one little area of, of work uh, you have tons of meetings you don't really have any say or you can really you don't get a lot of creative input like at the end product I mean sure I was just a, an artist on, on those games but uh, but still, I mean, I, I really prefer working on a smaller team. Uh, but but yeah, back then I was still just only like 100% uh, 3D artists uh, on games. Um, but after after Dice, I I quit my job there and I went over to. Uh, then I started as a contract 3D artist. Uh, so I worked with uh, Liquid Development, which is a uh, yeah 3D contractor that does for a bunch of different games. So I worked on some different Gearbox games. Um, as an artist, uh, at the same time, I actually took up because this was sort of like early indie game days. Like uh, uh, you saw, like World of Goo and Braid of the, and these games releasing, 
so at the, sort of the same time, I was, I was really getting into programming. I, I mean, I'd been programming for a few years ahead of that as well, but just like on a, on a hobby level, doing little applications and like mini games and stuff like that. But um, so I got into programming a lot more. I started making my own games, uh, little, yeah, small games. And I joined like Ludum, Dar- Ludum Dare, which is a really big game jam event online. Uh, I can really recommend trying that out for anybody wanting to to um, make games. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. you, you like you you basically spend uh, twenty uh, forty eight hours making a game over a weekend. You're s- supposed to make everything yourself during this time, like including sounds and and graphics and everything. Um, and I did that a bunch of times and made some small games. Yeah, and then after that, let's see. I need to think about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted uh, to- after that. Well, oh, yeah, real quickly, uh, I so you've talked about a lot of these little indie games uh, and places that you worked at. Uh, you, you have a website, uh, jsmars.com, M-A-R-S. Yeah, yeah I have that up now, and I can see all, a lot of these things that you were talking about. So if anybody was interested, I, I recommend you know going and checking out your website to see all those cool uh, projects that you'd worked on. Yeah, uh, hopefully it's sort of complete. Um... But yeah, there's like a mixture of AAA games and um, and other indie games and and game jam games there, along with some other stuff. Um, yeah. So um, let's see, where was I? Uh, yeah. After that, anyway, I I actually by that point I sort of uh, I mean I'd had some jobs in the industry. I worked as a contractor and, and everything, but I I sort of wanted to have a, an education. I like I'd started working directly out of high school, so I didn't have a formal like the university ex- uh, education so uh then i applied for a university degree and uh did that remotely most of the part um actually as i was still working i mean i'd gotten into working you, you sort of you, i mean when you start earning money and everything it's kind of hard to just like stop doing that and jump all the way back to uni yeah uh, so i sort of did like I mean, I, I worked 100%, and I also was studying 100%, <laughs> which might not have been the best idea. But uh, oh, so but, you yeah. were, you were working and schooling? Yeah, yeah, that's never uh, good. No, that's probably not a great idea. But uh, uh, <laughs> thankfully, I mean, I, the the unit I went to, I, I did like um, I, I was thinking like, I mean, I want to work with games, but I already have more like how do you say experience. And skills than I will get if I if I like just do a, a game development university. I mean, sure, I'll learn some stuff. I'll do some cool projects, but but we're, if they start from the beginning, it's really kind of like it, it wouldn't be very. I wouldn't really challenge myself. I wouldn't really learn that much. I think so. I went for uh, like more of an IT pro- project management uh, education, a little bit more a little bit more business oriented or or project management. I'd say, which I I just felt like yeah, that's that's a cool skill to have be better at the that side of things if i ever want to do something by myself like in a smaller team or or anything like that right so that's so that's interesting ha, have you uh ventured into any um game or other project designs um on your own or with a group that you formed yet or is that something you're still thinking about as maybe something in the future uh yeah i mean um both before that during like when i do game jams um a lot of the time i did them all by myself, but several times I, I got some friends to join me, and we s- sort of made a game together. And I don't want to like say, oh, I'm the one who who led them in any way, but uh, I was probably in several cases anyway the one with most experience. So 
in a lot of ways, I sort of led the led those projects. And after after my education as well, like then I started a my own contractor company where uh, I I also worked. I, I had some other odd jobs in between there, I guess. But uh, I started my own contractor company where I made uh, like uh, software engineering for uh, for well, basically anything. Uh, but I, I tried to do some game work. Uh, so I tried to like do contract work fifty percent to 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 uh, to get money, and then I did like fifty percent my own projects. Uh, because that's really what I wanted to do, like uh, make my own games, uh, preferably with some friends or, or some other motivated people. Yeah, so I did that for a few years. I had I had some pretty cool projects that went pretty far, but but uh, besides the like game jam games, none of the bigger projects really didn't get to a point where we felt that we wanted to release them. Uh, so several of those were stuck in game development limbo. <laughs> well, so so that actually sounds similar to uh, my my experience in the film industry, you know, uh, the film industry is super tough as well to 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 get into and uh you end up working if you don't move to LA or New York uh and and start working, you know, from the bottom rung up or or have uh, a wealthy relative who or who's wealthy or famous already. Uh, it's very hard to get into, so you end up doing some work to pay the bills and working on your side projects by yourself or with friends uh, to hopefully get some exposure. Um, and it was nice when YouTube really became a big thing. Uh, I, I, I'm old enough that I saw that evolution from nothing, uh, so it, it gave us an outlet. But uh, I, di- I did find that uh, YouTube wasn't such a great outlet for for filmmakers for the cinematic filmmaking stuff um it, and yeah. it took me years to figure that out before i became just sort of like this youtube content creator um, yeah that's too bad i think vimeo or however you pronounce that i mean that's more i'd say that was my experience anyway that vimeo is like more for for film film clips and stuff like that and youtube was more for yeah YouTubing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's still but but you still end up having the problem just like with any project uh no matter what it is and it's it's getting eyeballs on it, right? And I just want to take a quick break from the show to share with you one of my sponsors, The Grimfrost, an amazing company that sells really, really cool Viking products. They have over a thousand different modern and historical Viking products. If you're interested, you should check them out. I have a link in the description, or you can go to my website, jirokthevikingcom slash Grimfrost. Now back to the show. Yeah, exactly. Of course, yeah. I actually did do. A, I have done a, a a bit of film stuff too. Um, me, I have a friend who's really good at at video editing and, and and filming and everything. And we did a bunch of different sketches for different like just minor stuff. But but uh, yeah, I think we had a lot of fun. We did some video work and like it, I'm sure there's like at least ten million people in the same situation. But like, but uh, if we if you'd had even a, a slight uh, idea of what YouTube would have become. And we would have like done that, put our stuff on YouTube, and just keep kept doing it. You could have really have <laughs> done a lot more there, I think. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I wish. I mean, I've been a filmmaker for almost twenty five years, and I wish I had sort of tuned in, paid more attention to what was going on in YouTube. Because up until uh, four or five years ago, I mostly still uh, pursued, you know, writing screenplays and making projects to try to get exposure to, you know, break into Hollywood to you know, get a, a feature film funded or a, uh, 
uh, a TV show pilot, you know, pilot made or something. But uh, yeah, it was only recently that I started seeing um, what people were doing on YouTube and how they were having success. And my my love of video yeah. games probably distracted a lot <laughs> from uh, <laughs> from my from my yeah. career. But now now finally I get to blend the two together. It's it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it seems like you really found something that you like. So, I mean, I, I mean, I think uh, that's sort of a problem for a lot of people. You sort of have this this uh, dream of you're trying to follow, like for example, Hollywood, the Hollywood way, or or in gaming, like oh, you want to be the next uh, Minecraft hit or something like that. And a lot of people try to follow in someone else's footsteps, but it's really hard mm-hmm. to get there. But if you you need to find your own way and sort of like find your own niche uh, of things to do. Mm. Yeah, which is interesting that Valheim uh, found that uh, a niche that was was missing, in my opinion, because I, I I became after playing MMOs and just about every game you can imagine o- over the years, uh, every type of game. I mean, uh, I landed on survival games, and they seemed to be the best fit for me. And so I played various survival games, and just one day I typed into Google. Viking survival, just to see if there was, because I, you know, I've always been a big fan of Viking, um, Viking stuff, and just found Valheim, signed up for the beta, and then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, and and um, I don't know, just to like uh, finish the uh, my long history of myself here. Then, yeah, <laughs> sorry, it got really long. Um, <laughs> it's it. How I got into Iron Gate, then I mean that was I guess the core question I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean while doing these uh, of my own, like working sort of as an indie uh, projects and everything, um, I did do. I have made one project. Uh, if you if you are on my website, you can see that it's called Forest, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's I I'm not sure if I have a date there exactly when it was, but say it was around I think it was like 2011. I was working on a game. Uh, that was like um, open world survival craft game ish. It has a lot of similarities to Valheim. I can definitely say that. Like it's it's definitely very along the lines of what Valheim became. I mean, Valheim, of course, is a complete and much better finished product. Uh, uh, well, finished. Well, I mean, more a lot more finished than that game ever was. But I was working on that game for a while uh, around 2011, 2012, before I sort of stopped because uh, the other people who were helping me sort of quit and then i was all by myself and then it's it, the scope was too big to finish by myself and at that point i didn't feel like oh i can't really contact publishers and do things like that so i moved on to other things at the moment but then then when valheim uh came out uh, a friend of mine he sent he, he he sent the link to the game and he was like yeah you do you want do you want to play this uh if i send you a key because he knows that I, I sort of don't play early access games because <laughs> I kind of think that early access is bad in, in the 99 games out of 100. Uh, yes. So, I, I mean, I'd rather just wait for the full game. Yeah, there's no, so many you're other not wrong games. with that. You're not wrong with that. It's kind of a habit, become a habit that developers are releasing early access and then it's just an easy way to make money. Yeah, and, exactly. I mean, and they're really hurting their product. I think, like... Some games it works really well. Like uh, I'm, I might might not be fully objective here now, but I do think Valheim is one of the games that it works really well in because it's it's like it's a, it's more of an open ended, a bit a bit more sandbox experience. And what you and there's there's a ton of content to play already, and you really know like this this has a high quality. It's well polished. It works well. And when you reach a certain point, then it's like okay, from here on there's going to be more content. 
which I think is a really good way of doing it. Whereas a, a many other games are like half released, there's no tutorial, it's, it feels glitchy. People play it, I mean, sure, it says early access, but people don't read that. They, they, they play it and review it as if it was the full game, basically. Well, yeah, it seems mm. like a lot of early access games, their basic mechanics and, and even the graphics and the look of the game are, are so, in, so, far, so in early development that it's not really ready to play for people who are paying money to, you know, to access it. But Valheim, the game already felt refined. It just, it just, you know, it went, it, it went up to a certain point in content and it stopped because the rest of the content still needs to be developed. But the basic gameplay, the look, the mechanics, all that was pretty well refined. And so if people do that with early access, I think that it's fine to go ahead and raise money for your game because let's just be honest, it's, you know, being an independent artist myself for 25 years, I know it's really difficult to raise money for independent projects. So if you can do that, um, if you can make some, a really refined project that's just a, a little bit of content, but really refined little bit of content with the promise of more, then maybe that's a better approach to go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I know also like a lot of people are in this situation where either they have to stop working on the game or they release it early access. So it's like choosing two bad alternatives. But still, I, I kind of think that it's been overused and like kind of misused. I, I would I would have preferred to see it work in a little bit different format. I mean, early access should be sort of more like signing up for a beta where it's you have to sort of go a little bit back in, in, in the back door and uh and like I like I think uh, I mean probably one of the reasons why it, why it uh, became a thing is is because how Minecraft was released. I mean they he released the game. It said like fifty percent off during beta. Uh, if you buy it now, I mean it's it's not complete and everything like that. It was called beta then, not early access. And that was also a game that that really worked well with early access. Uh, I mean beta. <laughs> and also it was it was highly uh, like even before the game was out, he had fifty percent off, which I think is one of the main reasons why people. We're like, oh, this looks cool. This looks like it's going to be a thing. And it's also 50% off even now. So I might as well buy it. Like early access is, sure, sometimes there's like a 10% cut. Sometimes they increase the price slightly when it's released. But you're, you're sort of selling an incomplete game for a full game price, which I think is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, mm. definitely. And it's just the promise of a full game. So some people, uh, and I myself too, I have spent, uh, you know, triple a dollars on a on an early access game and not gotten you know with the expectation that i would get all the content when it finally came out but uh th then watched many games you know crash and burn um ever quest next uh yeah <laughs> did i say that yeah, exactly. out loud and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i mean that's the saddest, saddest part of all where where I mean, in some cases, they even get in a lot of money, and then they just sort of the, the game sort of dies off when they realize, okay, nobody's people don't keep buying the game. The hype has died down, and they just stop working on it. That's that's uh, really yeah, that's sad. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess finding out how you uh, ended up at Iron Gate is the next thing to learn about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, then I was working, like, doing my own stuff. And I played this game. I got the code from a friend. And I played it, and, and I was, like, I was sort of blown away by it. I thought it was it's easily one of the best games I've played in the past years. And I had a really great experience, like, 
like I think quite a few people have said, like uh, being in kind of a, I'd still like to say old schoolish gamer, played a lot of games in my years. Uh, you sort of are always looking for uh, some of the nostalgic feeling you get from your the original games. It's really hard to play a game now and, and be really happy with it, and, and, and which surprises you. And, and this game, for me, it, it really ticked a lot of those boxes that I've been missing for a long time. Um, but at the same time, it sort of, it reminded me uh, in, in, in so many ways about this this project that I was working on by myself until 2011. And I was like, oh, oh, this is cool. I, I'm so glad I get to play this game. But but oh, damn, I wish I just had finished that game. <laughs> so, I, I mean, uh, so on. But anyway, I mean, and I was, uh, of course, it's not identical either. But But anyway, I was playing it and I was like, well, you know, I mean, they're not their their office isn't so far away from here. Uh, I might just I'll, I'll just send them an email and see. Like, I'm sure that they are a swamp with work right now because they probably didn't expect this to uh, blow up this big. So, 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 so about yeah. about what time? What was the timeline when you contacted them in their development? Uh, I mean, I sent the email probably a few weeks after release, something like that. Oh, after the early access release last year? Yeah, after early access release. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of late to the party. Like, uh, uh, I was me and I mean, several of the others, uh, have been, were hired after the early access release. Yeah. So, so yeah, I sent them an email like, uh, pretty soon after their early access release and, uh, it took a while to get to hear back first i was like oh, okay yeah they don't they they're not interested so on but i i sent them some pictures of the project that i made and like yeah this is really similar and uh, <laughs> yeah. i have some experience i i could probably help you guys out and so on um but yeah so then it it took a while like i mean they were swamped with stuff uh after the early access release and um so, so they it took them uh, quite a bit of time to to go through like because they wanted to hire several people like uh, it was it was a programmer they wanted an animator and uh, a QA right. basically um, so it took a while to go through all the the whole process um, but yeah uh, we had we had a we had an interview and uh, after a while and uh, luckily uh, I got the job along with uh, Luma and uh, and uh, Christopher, the animator. Oh, and how do you um, split the workload between between all of you? I'm guessing you you each have your specialties. Yeah. Um, so, like, uh, yeah, like Richard uh, Devoid, he's the like, yeah, both the founder and uh, and leader. Uh, he's also the pro- like main programmer, uh, but he also does a little. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. He's he's really talented in a lot of areas. Especially like I'm impressed with the work he does with like effects and sound effects, and he has a really eye for uh, for getting the the presentation side of it done, which I think is the main reason why uh, the art style works so well. Um, a lot of programmers don't really have like they're really they can be really good at programming, but they don't really have the artistic side at all. I also have an artistic side since I worked as uh, only as an artist. Uh, I, I mean, I went into the industry uh, as an artist. Uh, so I'm also kind of a multidisciplinary programmer, but, uh, but yeah, so he does, he does a little bit of everything, but mostly programming. And that's pretty much the same as me. I, I am the other programmer and I also do a little bit of everything where, where I'm needed. So we're the two engineers, you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have, uh, yeah, the rest of the team 
like Robin and uh, Lisa do art, and they also do. I mean, everybody at Iron Gate does a little bit of everything, you could say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say like this person does that and this person does that, but uh, but yeah, like Eric is a designer. He does, like I said, the dungeons and and locations. Uh, Henrik, he is like a producer. He also helps out, I think, a lot with uh, like early on um, a lot of setting up of assets and stuff in the editor. And uh, Luma is our tester and and uh, master of balance, master of. I, I call him master of responsibility because, uh, sadly, like uh, we do lots of stuff that breaks things, and we ask him, like, can you just test this to see that uh, we didn't break something? <laughs> so. So even though it's our fault if we break something, uh, sadly he feels it's his fault if he didn't catch it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's probably why he engages a lot with the community, especially on the uh, public test branch channel of your Discord, because there's no way one individual can find every little bug or exploit or glitch or whatever. But, you know, having thousands of people uh, testing and him interacting with them, he, he can kind of tease out information from them yeah exactly i mean most most big games and i mean even though we're a small team in in so many ways volume is a huge game there's so many players there's so many things that can go wrong like a lot of big companies have like huge departments of qa and mm-hmm. and they outsources and they have so many testers and everything like he's one guy and he's both has the whole qa side he also does he also keeps track of the uh, localization translations of everything and also like he he's he also does a lot of balance testing and helps out with like that side of things. And 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 me and Richard are always poking him like, hey, hey, we fixed something. Can you can you just test this? <laughs> so it's not like he can do his work uh, undisturbed. Like he's, I think he, yeah, he he does an amazing job. I'm really impressed. He also has help, of course, from Smithy. He's uh, also like he is community manager, but he also does a lot of testing. I think. Like just because that's the type of person he is, he just sits and tries to break things and and finds problems and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, trying to break it is kind of part of the uh, uh, what what you expect some of the players might end up doing. So if if he can break it, and I don't know if uh, like how much you guys like to talk about the modding community, but yeah, as a server admin uh, with uh, over 130 players. Uh, I'm always trying to do stuff for them. And of course, you know, you guys don't have a lot of tools for the server admins. So I do something similar with the modders. I, I, there's a couple of modders I work with and they'll send me a mod and they'll say, okay, try to break it. (laughs) And (laughs) oftentimes I do, I like, okay, this doesn't work right. Like with the game. So I, I kind of understand a little bit what they're trying to do with the, the basic version of Valheim without mods. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I get you. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I did a lot of the uh, like early on. Uh, was starting when I was starting here. Uh, I did a lot of like when when building the game, you sort of need like dev tools to interact with the game, like like the dev console and stuff like that. And uh, I improved a lot of those things early on. Like I've I'm I've added a lot of dev commands that I feel are needed uh, <laughs> just to be able to play the game. So hopefully that will help you out a little bit. But yeah, we don't. I mean. Obviously, we don't have official mod support, um, but uh, I, I'm personally I'm really impressed with the modders what they do. Uh, sadly, like one of the effects of mods, I mean, well known is that they usually tend they tend to break uh, when there's an update, 
which leads to since there's so many people playing with mods uh when we release a patch like so many of the bug reports are actually due to players having mods which is a real pain for us uh, well, to figure out like is this actually a mod or is there a bug or is it a mod that's breaking it yeah i i, I do my small part to help help you folks out I, I i monitor the public test branch channel quite a bit and give feedback when i find something but often i answer questions for people in there because they're always saying i installed the public test branch but it won't load i got a black screen or something and then i just ask the question have you ever played with mods and then they say well i uninstalled them and i said no you didn't <laughs> that's that's yeah. why you need to do a fresh install if you're not using a mod manager that can load a vanilla version um but yeah and that usually that's like i think in four or five cases just in the last week or two it's fixed their problem because like you said they're running mods. You you guys put out a patch and, and it breaks so they can't even play the game. Uh, sadly. I mean, you sort of wish that... I mean, since this is probably a standard practice uh, in, in a lot of games that don't have mod support. Like I know Beat Saber, for example, I play sometimes and it always breaks all the mods when they release a patch. So I'm kind of surprised that the mod managers don't automatically sort of keep track of the version number and... Either just like disable mods as soon as there's an update or give you a disclaimer or something like that. So that, I mean, I think it would help a lot of players and it would help us a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see so many people asking questions and you guys have to deal with it. And it's most, and a lot of that is just problems with, with mod interactivity. Well, so I, I obviously you guys and, and, and Richard, he has a vision for a game and it's in early access and, you know, 1.0 releases is, is down the line. And it seems like, like that vision is mostly for the sort of single player version of the game. And I'm sure like the 8 million people who bought the game, most of those bought it and played single player and, you know, maybe a, you know, some small percentage of them uh, found online communities or played, played with friends. So, how much do you think that you might con consider multiplayer from what you you know your time with them so far at Iron Gate? Will, will the multiplayer experience be part of um, development leading up to 1.0, or you think maybe that more of that might come after 1.0? I mean, uh, in, in in so many ways, uh, Valheim, I would say, is mainly a co-op survival game. Yeah. But at the same time, which I think is really cool, I mean, it's it's also made to be able to play single player. So everything we do, like, sometimes there's really great ideas and ways to do things, which is like, this would improve the multiplayer part of the game. But we don't want to, like, we don't want to include parts that are, that won't work in single player. Like, we want it to be both, like, we want it to be both a great multiplayer game, but also a great single player game. So the player can choose uh, how they want to play. Um, so it is sometimes a little bit difficult to make those choices. Um, um, but like, did, did you have any specific thoughts? Like, what do you mean the multiplayer? Like, which parts did you thinking of improving or? Well, so uh, playing for me, I played Minecraft a lot and I played uh, Seven Days to Die a lot. And following those two games from very, very early on, I it's really what made me decide to jump on Valheim and say, Okay, if I'm ever going to become a, a content creator for YouTube using my film knowledge, this should be the game because I saw the uh, the early you know seeds of of Minecraft and Seven Days to Die in Valheim, where 
there's a really good concept for a game there with a little bit of content and more content to come. But those two games, uh, they, they have basically made it so that like Minecraft is almost unrecognizable in certain forms, right? Because the, of the tools that they provide um, the community with to go in and mod that game, you can jump into servers that are completely different from the vanilla Minecraft experience. And when I look at seven days to die for me, that was a big game because uh, the, I, I was with them from the very beginning when their when their terrain, like seven, eight, nine years ago, when their terrain was blocky, like Minecraft before they switched it. And over the years, they've now uh, provided uh, server admins with so many tools to create this flourishing uh, server community. So, you know, you play a game, any game you play solo or with a couple of friends and maybe your friends lose interest or you lose interest. And then you look for a multiplayer community to revive the game because of the multiplayer experience. You know, it doesn't even have to be a lot of people, you know, 10, 15, 20 other players who are on regularly can create a really great experience. And Valheim is still, it's sort of missing those tools for server admins to create that, that long lasting uh, game experience once people are done with the solo experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Uh, I think it's really hard for us in like in that regard, because um, whatever we do, uh, since there's quite a few players, like whatever we do, people will be like some people will be happy, some people will be really angry. Like, why are you spending time on the Steam Deck? Like, you should be making mislands or something like that. Like, in reality, the Steam Deck part of it wasn't really a huge deal. Like, uh, um, and if we work on only on, say, the next biome, then people will be angry. Like, why aren't you fixing these things? Why aren't you <laughs> making multiplayer things? Oh, yeah, if the more popular you are, the, the more people you have to give you their different opinions and, and they're all, you know, some people are going to be super happy and then other people are not going to be happy with the decision. Yeah, exactly. And like, and, and that, I guess that's one of the, say the downsides of being early access. Like uh, I could definitely see, um, how should you say? Like if you, if you try to listen to the critics there for a moment and just think like, okay, some people are like, Oh, dead game and all that. And it's, I mean, yeah, you're playing an early access game. What do you expect? But, but um, in in some ways, yes. If the game had full, um, if it was complete, and if it had like full mod support and everything from day one, or like say within a few weeks or months before like the hype sort of went down, sure, it would definitely have had a potential to grow even more. Since like compared to the Minecraft days, like if you compare it to Minecraft, Minecraft took you have to remember it took several years before they had. Any type of like uh, official mods. Oh yeah, no, no. Uh, you know, I don't I definitely don't want you to think that I, in my mind, I was thinking that. Hey, why doesn't Valheim have this already? No, it's so early access. I, I was just curious if the sort of multiplayer experience uh, was something that uh, it was being considered between now and 1.0, or if it's maybe something that you think might come more after 1.0 because right like you've got to get everything into the game that you want for the vision of the game and once that's released then maybe you start adding other things as you as you see fit the game or fit what the community is at, you know asking for yeah yeah sure sure uh during like if you say minecraft days yeah. people were uh, in a, in a way much more patient because there weren't so many games being released at this like uh compared to now where you have 
every genre has so many games that are popular and you have so many game players. So if, if you're a little bit too slow, people will, I mean, well, not even if you're a little bit too slow, people expect like every game to be uh, a live service where they're getting like new patches every month or yeah. every bi-weekly patches, <laughs> everything new all the time. They're, uh, they're spoiled, by, spoiled yeah. <laughs> by, by AAA oh, games yeah. that are releasing and, and, and doing tons of updates with a huge team and, um, yeah, exactly. Mm. So, well, to answer your original question there a little bit more, uh, it is a little bit of a balance. Like, yes, we want to focus mainly on finishing like the parts that really failed missing. Like, uh, I mean, mainly the biomes. Um, that that is, you could always say that that is the main focus. Um, but but we definitely do. I mean, we definitely can do and probably will do other things at the same time. Um, I can't say for sure which parts of it is, but but for example, I mean things that, like we're talking about, for example, mod support or or things like achievements, things that are uh, important but some way secondary to the main like game being complete, um, will probably have more of a backseat until the other things are done. Like I mean, we could definitely add some tools for you to do things a little bit differently, like. Uh, uh, help out the multiplayer experience. Like personally, I'd love to work more on the replayability and like, and and, and like some different modes. Uh, like for example, we added we had the unofficial uh, no map mode, which turned out to be very popular, um, and things like that. Like smaller changes uh, are more likely to happen, I think, during uh, before one if you say that. But uh, I think other things probably will 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 be more like at or after 1.0. Okay, that was the first half of the interview with Jonathan over at Iron Gate. He was such a great guest to speak with. He had so much to share with us. So stay tuned for the second half of this interview, which should come out within the next week. Thank you for listening to Podheim, Jirox Valheim podcast. We have new episodes coming out every Friday. And if you enjoyed listening, please support us by subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a rating and a review to help more Vikings find us. We also have a Patreon with perks for supporters like behind the scenes discussions, exclusive content, and segments that are edited out of the main podcast. And if you'd like to join our friendly Discord community, we have more than a thousand people there. Just go to discord.gg slash the Viking. If you'd like to play on my Valheim servers, just go to my website at jirokthevikingcom and submit an application. I'd like to give a huge shout out to my supporters, some of them on Patreon, the YouTube membership, and the ones who help boost our Discord server. Your support means the world to me and inspires me to make more videos, as well as run a community Discord and multiple Valheim gaming servers. If you enjoy my videos and would like to support my work, join our friendly Discord community and Valheim servers, links can be found in the description below. Skull!